This is Michael Goldwasser from Easy Star Records and the Easy Star All-Stars, and you are watching World Music Views. Hello. What's Bob and Michael? Everything's safe, man. Uh, can you hear me all right? Y your voice is exactly as I imagined it would sound. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Welcome to World Music Views. Yeah, thank you. What part of uh, Jamaica are you in? We're in Kingston right now. Okay. We are on worldmusicviews.com. And World Music Views started as a move to bring numbers to reggae music. Uh, I started the idea as a TV show. We were on TVJ for five years from 2018 till we decided to go fully digital. We curate all the numbers for reggae music, Afrobeats, dancehall in the US, UK, Canada which you know that's, that has always been a problem for reggae to have some kind of business to it. Yes. And, of course, we do features like this with special people that we recognize that are doing big things in the music. Oh, thank you. So before we go any further, just tell us who you are and how you got your present job. Wow. Okay. Well, my name is Michael Goldwasser, and um, I'm currently... I'm one of the founders of Easy Star Records, which is a reggae label based in New York, where I am. Uh, we started in 1996, and we've been putting out reggae ever since then. Um, and we've expanded, you know, we, we first started just putting out records by Jamaican artists who were living in New York that we had access to, and I was producing and co-writing with them. And now we work with artists from all over the world, which is, which is really amazing. And, but our focus, has never left Jamaica. You know, um, Jamaica is, there, there's no reggae without Jamaica. And I think, you know, unfortunately, some people kind of even lose sight of that. You know, um, there are reggae artists in the US or in other parts of the world that aren't, don't feel a connection to Jamaica. But I was fortunate, all of us from Easy Star, we grew up in New York, New York City, around so many Jamaicans and hearing reggae as part of our uh, normal everyday life, you know, so even though I'm not Jamaican, my partners are not Jamaican, reggae was really a part of our of our upbringing. I noticed that you also signed, well, tell me if you signed them, Jesse Royal's Grammy-nominated album. That was on Easy Star, right? Yes, it was. We've done his last two albums, and we're working on some new stuff right now, actually, with him. So you signed them, Jesse signed to Easy Star. Yeah, I mean, we... We try to be a not a traditional record label in the sense that traditionally, and in, in Jamaica and in the U.S., the record label was known for, pardon my language, but trying to screw the artists out of, out of everything. You know, oh, we'll give you uh, $10 and then the, the artist never sees another penny, you know. Um, we really tried to not be that way and to uh, just be everything very, very fair, um, which I think serves us and the reggae community very well. And we hope that we can be a model for, for other labels, you know, that if we promise something, we're gonna deliver it. And, and recognizing how important the artists are uh, to the process. So the reason I'm saying all this is that we don't sign artists like, oh, um, you have to give us your next three albums, you have to give us our next five albums. We, we tend to license of you know the the album from the artist or from the producer 
you know, on, and then because they like working with us, they come back to us without us having to have them signed per se for several albums. You have a style that's largely about reimagining old albums, classic albums into reggae music. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, uh, as I said in the beginning, we started out just working with Jamaican artists and doing original reggae, um, but, you know, based in New York. And it was great. I, you know, we would sell some records. Uh, it would be me and my partners walking around to, you know, taking the subway with a big thing of records to all the different Jamaican record stores in around New York City. Um, but we knew we needed to do something bigger if we wanted to help expand not just our business, but expand reggae, right? So one of my partners, Lem Oppenheimer, uh, he, he was a big fan of the rock, the British rock group Pink Floyd, and their most famous album is called Dark Side of the Moon. Um, he had this idea one day, like, what if we did a reggae version of it? And I wasn't so familiar with that uh, album so much, but I listened to it and I made a couple. I'm the only one of the four founders of Easy Star who's actually a musician and a songwriter and a producer. So, um, I made arrangements of a couple of songs. We realized it really could work, you know? So we did this album, we called it Dub Side of the Moon. We involved lots of different artists to, to sing on it. And it went really, really well. Um, and you know, the Easy Star All-Stars as a band, we wound up touring the world behind this album. Um, a lot of people who were skeptical about it then turned out to actually become really big fans. And that's really, one of our goals is to bring more people into reggae you know it's it's a music that we love and that some people for whatever reason aren't into it or haven't really heard it or have only heard bob or you know they might listen to it if they're on vacation in the caribbean but they don't really give it a chance like as if it was a another legitimate genre of music so by creating an album where we combined, uh, where we covered a very famous rock album. It's one of the most famous albums in, in rock history. Um, we brought in people to become reggae listeners, which was really important to us. And then because that was successful, we continued to uh, find new albums to do. Um, and of course, doing covers. I mean, the reason you found me is because of this article I wrote for Rolling Stone about doing covers and covers has been a big part of not just reggae or not just Jamaican music history, but music history. You know, everyone's always taking something they like and, and, and redoing it. Um, but no one had really done a full album that we know of take an album and then say, we're going to relick the entire album, but from a Jamaican perspective. So we were able to do that successfully, and that's what we've been able to do with Easy Star Records and Easy Star All Stars. Uh, uh, I'm producing these. I, I take an album and I think, like, what would this sound like if it was this artist, these songwriters, but they recorded it in Jamaica? And my favorite era of reggae is generally, say, the mid to late '70s through the early '80s. Um, like my favorite studio band is Roots Radics and and the revolutionaries from channel one you know so um so that's how i try to come up with these albums is like you know retain the essence of the original but give it a real legitimate reggae vibe and we, we work with so many great uh um guest vocalists you know people that i grew up listening to and admiring and now i'm producing them on these albums which is really a thrill for me so um 
maybe you're going to get to this, but my our latest album is by the, the British rock star David Bowie, who passed away a few years ago. He had a very famous album called Ziggy Stardust, and we reimagined it as Ziggy Stardub. And the whole thing is is licked back as reggae, and there's some ska, some rock steady, and even some some dance hall in there. Um, so that's yeah, that's what we're trying to do is just bring more people into o- open people's minds and open people's ears to reggae and open their hearts. Now the the, the cover thing it, it's it's a thing that has always been a part of reggae music, whether other artists cover like Bob Marley started by writing songs for other artists. Um, Eric Clapton sang over I Shot the Sheriff, which sold more than Bob. UB40 did several cover albums that went platinum, multi-platinum. So it's, it's, a, it's a good idea that has always been part of the, the reggae experience. Now, what's, what the difference is between now and then was that Records used to sell a lot of units. Eric Clapton went platinum, um, but we're not seeing that in reggae now. What do you think is reggae's selling problem? Wow. Uh, I don't know how much time you have. Um, I mean, look, you obviously are ensconced in the, the music world in Jamaica, and me being from the outside, but dealing with a lot of Jamaican artists and other people in the Jamaican industry, and I hope no one feels no way about this me being an outsider uh critiquing but i do see a certain lack of unity um in the jamaican music community or even worse than that so you know competitiveness that is detrimental to the progress of reggae um i feel like everyone's you know fighting for something small when if everyone could unite on some level um, they could achieve something big. And I also, I, I don't quite understand why the Jamaican government hasn't embraced reggae as Jamaica's most important export and, and really celebrated reggae in a meaningful way. I mean, I know there are some things and certainly, you know, reggae artists might, uh, you know, get accolades from the government, some title, things like that. Um, and, and there is something, but I just feel like it could be much, much bigger, you know, if there was, if people were working together to, to do this. Um, another challenge I see, and it's not just related to Jamaica or reggae, is just uh, people not necessarily knowing the ins and outs of the business, the music business. And I think that has changed a lot more over the last, say, 10 years. Um, but, you know, I know way too many reggae artists who don't understand publishing, might not own their own publishing, um, don't understand the value of um, the legal side of things or of understanding that, you know, like, of course you want to have people on your team who represent you, but I think it's, uh, you know, everyone owes it to themselves to be as educated as possible about the business side. It's the music business. It's not just music. So, um, and and I think reggae also is facing a challenge of, uh, being considered like other music by a lot of people. Uh, I mean, everyone, I'd like to think everyone knows or maybe even likes some reggae, but it's not the normal music for, for a lot of people outside of Jamaica to listen to. Um, and part of it, the, there's this, uh, like with dance hall, sometimes there's uh, 
somewhat of a, a language barrier. You know, like people don't understand Patois and they get somehow put off by hearing, you know, lyrics that they can't understand. Um, which I think is really kind of silly because if you love music, you can love music in any language and music is, is the universal language. You don't have to understand every word of a song, but you know, some people, uh, feel that way, you know? Um, so perhaps had roots reggae maintained prominence after Bob Marley's death, um, instead of dance hall slowly becoming kind of the main focus of, of a lot of artists, um, maybe things would have developed differently. I, I do not know. Another thing that I don't know if you could shed some light on is you said that, you know, artists aren't uniting, et cetera, but reggae is, is bigger than Jamaica, right? Yeah. You're doing it. You're not Jamaican. A lot of people doing it all over the world. You're doing it and you're calling it reggae. But a lot of times artists do dancehall, especially, and they don't call it dancehall. Justin Bieber, whenever he does it, they call it tropical pop. The, the, the overseas media, they give it a name like airy pop or something like that. And I did an article recently where I highlighted the top 50 dancehall songs. Number one is Justin Bieber, sorry, which went diamond. They didn't call that dancehall, but in the, in the credits, you know, it's dancehall. Number two is One Dance by Drake. In the credits, it says dancehall as a genre, but that's given to pop, Afrobeat, right? No one says that's dancehall. Number three, Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. In the credits, as in the label, title it as dancehall, but the media doesn't call it dancehall. Unforgettable by French Montana and Sueli. These are four diamond selling songs. So whenever dancehall succeeds, it's called something else. Do you think that hurt the genre itself instead of, as you say, it's being seen as a other kind of music. It's seen as at the top of the pops, at the top of the charts. Do you think it hurts when they relabel it whenever it, it hits? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the thing is, right, life isn't about what happens it's about what it's not what about what happens to you it's about how you react to it right so yes it stinks that someone i don't even know who decided oh we're going to call this tropical house or you know a lot of afrobeats really is dancehall you know um to me um i mean i know there's some differences but really there would be no afrobeats without dancehall um, so people are labeling it, whatever they're going to label it, but it's about what does the reggae community do about that? And if there was some unity, maybe it's too late, you know, but when Justin Bieber came out with that tune, however many years ago that was, if there was unity and every person in the Jamaican music industry made, uh, some kind of statement about it and saying, look, this is dance hall music. Um, instead of and putting aside any differences, if so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so to say, we got to unite and tell the world this is dancehall music and even and maybe this has happened i don't know you know outreach to the artists you know like hey justin or justin's manager sean paul did sean paul was one of them that that called out drake and justin right. to, that they're not labeling it dancehall and 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 no one even paid attention to him he just said it like you know in the open air but yeah. But he was like, as you said, not he didn't get a lot of support from fellow acts to say, hey, this is what's happening. 
Yeah. And it's interesting to me as well in the sense that um, a lot of music I hear coming out of Jamaica has moved so far even beyond, you know, whatever standard dance hall, you know, like it's musically, you know, it's mu it owes much more of a debt to uh, what's going on in the U.S. in terms of hip hop and and R&B, which is so influenced by hip hop here in the U.S. as well. Um which is fine, you know, I, I think artists and producers should be making whatever music they want, you know, but maybe part of the reason, maybe part of the reason for moving forward like that, I think historically, um, not just in Jamaica, but in all forms of music uh, that were started by, say, uh, descendants of slaves in the Western Hemisphere, you know, it's like it's taken from them by uh the colonial powers or by big business or whatever area you're in and then sometimes the reaction might just be um okay you know what fine you you take that we're going to move on to the next thing and always thinking about the future and i'm i'm going off on a bit of a socio-political tangent there but i think i it could be correct now you, you you have a good perspective now let's talk some business right you started your label in 96 so you've you've built up a, an extensive catalog of music and, and, and you're doing something unique, which means there's value to it. With everybody that's selling their catalog recently, um, a, a lot of reggae acts secretly sold their catalogs, they told me. Some of the biggest told me they secretly sold their catalog. They haven't announced it. But <laughs> overseas, Justin Bieber sold his catalog. Um, um, John Legend, bunch of people selling their catalog. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Are you gonna sell your catalog, and how much does it cost? I don't know, man. Make me an offer I can't refuse. You know, um, yeah. I, I, we don't really think about that so much. Um, as look, I think the whole idea of selling catalogs—it's great for artists, for creators, or owners of intellectual property to be able to uh, make as much money as they can off of that. I think another challenge in the reggae world is that historically there was a lack of clarity on who really owned intellectual property of a song. You know, like you could find so many records that have different credits on them for who the songwriters are, or the producer might say, well, that's my record, but the artist would be like, well, I never even got paid, so it should be my record, things like that. Like all, and it's very complicated, and of course that happens probably all over the world and certainly in the U.S. industry as well. Um, but I find that a lot, like in the past, say we've tried to license tracks for some compilation of rare stuff and, and just tracking down the ownership is so difficult sometimes. Um, you know, and I'm not sure why, like if I were in the Jamaican government, which I never will be, um, I would say, you know what, we need to have an organized way to document everything make sure that it's right and tight so that our most important export besides i mean just the quality of jamaican people but the export of reggae music or jamaican music you know reggae dance hall whatever it's going to be um has the biggest chance of success so um i don't know who's listening who's in the government but start a commission and make this happen you know like organize all the data so that and find out who really owns everything so that it can be fully um, exploited, not in a negative way, like, oh, the colonialists are exploiting the, the native people. But I'm saying exploited such as 
so that Jamaicans can make as much money as possible from the greatest export. You you grew up in Tel Aviv, right? What was no, that? No, no, no. I, I didn't. I actually do spend a lot of time in Israel, but I grew up in New York City, pretty much. So, so you grew up in a Jewish background? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Jewish through and through, and that's actually one of the reasons why I gravitated towards reggae. So uh, t- tell me about that connection between your, your Jewish community and how it connects to reggae. Well, when I was a youth, uh, I would hear reggae. Um, and at one point, I realized that some of the, like a lot of lyrics from Bob or, or Dennis Brown, who's my favorite singer, um, they were from, they were English translations of Hebrew scripture. Um, and I didn't realize at the time, because I didn't know about Rastafari, why there was that connection. Um, but I'll, I'll try to be brief. I mean, maybe many of your listeners and viewers do know this stuff already, but, um, you know, the Jamaica, as you know, has, I think, the highest per capita number of churches of any country in the world, you know, and many of the churches, from what I know, and feel free to correct me, of course, um, you know, were of denominations, uh, say, we're talking like back in the early part of the 20th century, um, where they focused on stories from the Hebrew Bible, from the Jewish Bible, talking about um, an exodus from slavery, um, a return to Zion, um, and um, the idea of redemption, um, and, you know, being in exile um, by the rivers of Babylon, we lay down and wept, you know, um, and the founders of Rastafari, came from this this church background these kind of christian denominations and when they developed rastafari they took a lot of these ideas as part of rastafari but then of course including the the uh divinity of Haile selassie um which also has jewish roots because the reason they find found Haile selassie to be um uh, the Messiah was because he was from the Solomonic line, according to Ethiopian tradition, and therefore, um, you know, many traditions. Um, and the Jewish Messiah is supposed to be a descendant of King David of Israel, and Solomon was David's son. So to them, it made sense that Haile Selassie could be the Messiah or God, even. Um, so I'm hearing these uh, these songs bob marley singing these songs where i know in hebrew it's like well that's the exact same thing as i know growing up you know it just really made me understand the connection uh between two seemingly different people you know two different peoples you know and and the whole idea the iconography of the lion of judah um and you know um that rastas use what we call the the magen david the jewish star as one of their symbols you know it's just uh, very strong connection. So it really spoke to me as a Jewish person uh, who also loved reggae. So that is is that star what Easy Star is? No, no. We you know honestly we called it Easy Star because we you know we were very devoted to Jamaican music and culture, and we understood that being non-jamaicans although one of my partners is uh his father's from from uh, saint kitts so he has caribbean roots um we understood that we wanted 
all the Jamaican people that we're working with or that might hear about us to understand that we we care about Jamaica. And, you know, we knew, you know, just from being around Jamaicans, hearing people say Easy Star. Um, and then there was even a song uh, by this hip-hop group in the called Poor Righteous Teachers in the early 90s that was called Easy Star. And we are just like, you know what? That seems like it could be a good a good name to tell people that we know what time it is, you know, that we're not just some non-Jamaicans trying to barge in the door and, and make something happen, you know, like we, we're showing, trying to show respect for Jamaica. Wow, that, that's nice. Easy star. It's like easy star, easy, easy, easy. Exactly. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. When you look at reggae now and the artists that are around, the protégés, chronics, um, Jesse, which you signed, are you seeing a, a future for reggae in, in these artists? And are you seeing any newer artists that, that are promising? Oh, sure, of course. I mean, look, there's no lack of, of interesting and great artists in Jamaica. Um, and I was very encouraged by whatever you want to call the movement, the new roots or whatever, you know, when, when Chronics and Protégé came on the scene and Jesse, of course, um, you know, it got, it seemingly got people interested in reggae in a way that they hadn't been in a while, which is, which is really amazing. Um, there are a lot of great new artists, uh, two of which, uh, we work with at Easy Star that I really love. You may be familiar with already Mortimer. Um, we, we put out an EP by him a few years ago and we're working on a full length album that's going to come out later this year and Samari I, who we've put out, um, a single with, we actually have another single dropping. I don't know when this is going to air, but on Friday, uh, whatever that date is, um, this will air by Friday, by tomorrow. Okay. okay great. By Friday. So let, let's not date it. This will air. <laughs> right. Okay. So check for Samari I's new single called crown. And then we have a full album with him coming out um and both of them also appear on our our latest easy star all-stars album ziggy startup that i mentioned before and the reason i'm so encouraged by mortimer and samurai Eye and artists like them is because they to me they harken back to the days when the best reggae artists weren't just great reggae artists they were great artists like the really talented vocalists who were also saying interesting and meaningful things um and both both Mortimer and Samuri, I do that, and and I give thanks for that because uh, that's the stuff I want to hear, even if I'm not involved in it. Um, and I think that they have the strength uh, vocally, and uh, and and the music, the music they're they're both produced by produced by Winter James, who's an amazing producer, who I'm sure many of your your listeners know his his stuff. Um, it's going to cross boundaries so like I, I really do feel that anyone hearing their new albums are going to get it you know whether you're a reggae fan or not i think they're gonna you people are really gonna be feeling it so i feel very encouraged that artists that them in specific and then artists like them are are coming across now and making uh, crucial music who are your top five favorite artists of all time doesn't have to be reggae this is world music view so we we are all encompassing and that's that's really hard i love music i know favorite artists of all time i mean i'm gonna say um felonious monk the jazz pianist and composer um probably my favorite artist overall um 
you know, I love Stevie Wonder. Um, uh, Stevie Wonder all day. Um, Donny Hathaway, another artist that I really, really, really love. Um, you know, I I really love Still Pulse. Um, I got a limit to five. Yeah, I mean, five. Oh no, I only have one left. Oh man. Okay. Well, um, I'm gonna say Shaka Khan. Ah, that's nice. That's nice. Give me the others. Just just for she rises and dazzles. Give me the others. Others? Oh well, I mean, I love Oswald and I love Third World. Like Third World, Oswald, and Steel Pulse to me, they're like the the holy trinity of reggae bands to me. You um, did put Third World as number one, which which I agree with you by the way, which is why I did the article yeah. cover the fact that you did you put them at number one. Um, what was that thought process in putting Third World as the number one cover of all time? Well, making that list was actually very challenging. You know, twenty five, my favorite covers. I I could easily name you know hundreds of covers that i think are great you know so that was really tough but even from the from the second that the editors asked me to write that i thought you know what now that we found love it's got to be the greatest cover of all time because i didn't even think i mean i guess at some at some point of course i knew it was a cover but to me that was just by the way i didn't know before yesterday that it was a cover wow and i know third world meaning i've interviewed them like yeah. Side by side. <laughs> I don't know if you read the article where I did interview Cat Core. Ibo Cooper taught yeah. at the school that I went to. Wow. So yeah. like so I did not know it was a cover. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's so amazing. Their version is so incredible and so third world. Like you would never guess necessarily that it wasn't their tune, right? So and to it's also it's a tune that if you put that on and and at a party or a dance or people are around if they're not dancing to that then they have no soul you know i mean that is such a jam for for dancing to um everything about it is is amazing you know so to me that was an obvious number one and also i do want to spotlight third world i know they didn't make my random five favorite artists but they really are you know i mean they just like i was saying how part of easy stars mission is to break down barriers between genres and get other people to listen to to reggae music um and to get people who like reggae to listen to other music third world has, was mixing genres you know for decades um and in a meaningful way you know like you know all of third world's albums from the 70s and 80s i mean it's just great stuff um and and, and not too many other artists could successfully do that and the fact that Stevie Wonder picked them to to produce and write for says a lot. You know, Stevie could have worked with any artist in Jamaica, and he chose Third World. You know, so and since I love Stevie so much, that was a, you know, that that says a lot. But yeah, I think um, you know I've gotten to know some of the guys in Third World personally. I worked with with Bunny Rugs before he passed away, and um, spent some time with Ebo as well. And uh, yeah, this just amazing people making ama- amazing, amazing music. So big up third world. I noticed you you're very meticulous with your branding. Your website is dope, by the way. You're, oh, you're, I don't have image, a picture of the website. <laughs> your image and likeness is projected right. How important do you think it is for artists to focus on their branding and, and that itself as an IP? Yeah, I think it's important for artists to focus on branding, but... Um, 
even greater than that, I think artists need to focus on getting a good team around them so that the artist doesn't have to think about the branding so much. It's their manager, their social media person, their team. Um, and of course, it's not easy to build a team necessarily. Uh, but if you have friends who have an inclination towards uh, business or other aspects of what has to be done and, and they're good people and they want to help you, then that's a good place to start, you know? Um, but yes, art, if you don't have a team, then yes, an artist has to be aware of their branding. Um, but I, I would hate for that to take away from the creativity and spending time creating amazing songs and music. Nice. What are you working on now? Um, I'm actually, I'm working on a really uh, cool album for an artist based in Florida. Uh, she calls herself Sailor Jane, and it is uh, primarily reggae versions of Sade songs. Um, and I, it's all the, most of the musicians on it are, are from Jamaica, um, guys who've played with, with Protégé and Chronics, um, really good group of musicians. And um, since I love reggae and I love R&B, it was just really cool to do something that I could combine uh, that stuff. Um, and then I'm in, I'm in talks to produce for some other people. Um, and I'm always, you know, I'm always writing, you know, if I could just sit down and only write music every day and not have to think of anything else, that's what I would do. You know, I love to love to write. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'll be, I actually did write a song for third world many years ago and bunny rugs like, man, we want to, I love the song. We're going to record it. We're going to record it. And then it never got recorded, but who knows, maybe I'll write something for the next album. Nice, nice, man. This was so good. Thank you so much, Bertrand. This is Hopefully World Music View. Time. All right. Yeah.